If a Jew does a sin, assume it was out of his control. Assume he did teshuva unless it was money that he stole. Don't publicize the sin of someone's past. It's lush and horror to put that person on blast. So uh, this week I'll be talking about Klal Dalit. And um, I'll be going over uh, Halacha Aleph through Gimel and then uh, we'll do the rest of the halachas in Klal Dalid in a future podcast. Um, so the beginning of Klal Dalid starts by talking about um, if a person is generally a fine and upstanding person, it's considered lush and hora to demean him in any way. And what does this mean to demean him? It means by repeating sins that they did in their past or that their family has done. Um, and that's true whether it's been Adam Lechavero between um, you know, a person and their fellow, or Ben Adam Lamakum between a person and God. Uh, sins between either one of those two categories, um, you know, either if it was if they're a good person now and they did sins in their past or their family had done sins, it's a it's lush and hora to repeat those. Um, so the Chavetz Chaim goes into detail that if you see someone doing something inappropriate halachically. Um, whether it's, again, whether it's Ben Adam Makom, Ben Adam Lechavero, it's forbidden to demean him in any way, um, so long as the disclosure doesn't conform to certain criteria that uh, will be talked about in the seventh halacha in the Klal. So we haven't got there yet, um, but we will, there are certain instances where if you see a person do a sin, you can publicize it, but um, the general default rule is you cannot publicize it. Um, there is one big exception that if that person is an apikoras, meaning, um, you know, that person very publicly like denounces Judaism, uh, which is relatively pretty much very, very rare in today's day and age. But if you have someone like that, then none of these, none of this applies and, uh, wait till the eighth cloud where he'll go into what to do with a person like that. But just a general Jew, which is pretty much all Jews today, um, it is prohibited to, talk about sins that they've done in their past or sins their family have done uh, as a general rule. So um, why is it so bad? David HaMelech, there's a story of David HaMelech. He says that uh, David HaMelech says he was so drained by embarrassment that he said even if his, his flesh was torn apart, he wouldn't bleed. Basically, embarrassment drained all the life force, all the blood out of him to the point that even if his flesh was torn apart, you wouldn't find any blood. Uh, that's how embarrassed he was, and it just shows you the power of embarrassment, that if someone is publicly embarrassed, uh, it's as if basically they were killed. It's as if their whole blood was drained out of their body, uh, David Melech is saying. So Chavetz um, continues, even if a listener wouldn't degrade... Um, you know, sorry, even even if the, the person that you're speaking to, you know that they wouldn't degrade the person, they wouldn't be degraded in their mind, you still shouldn't speak about their sinful history because it's likely that, that, that the victim, the person that you're talking about, if it somehow became public knowledge, it, you, you know that it would hurt the victim. So by repeating that, even to someone that um, you don't think will be, you know, won't, won't find it offensive, but just... Uh, had it, if it were to become public knowledge, since it would hurt him, then it's considered lush and hora. And even if it's without the intention to embarrass someone. So, you know, lush and hora applies even if you don't intend to embarrass someone. And the proof, the Chavetz Chaim says that it applies even if you don't intend to embarrass someone is in the, in Masechet Shabbos, 
33b, Yehuda ben Gerim had no intention to embarrass Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, and his remarks were at home, they were said in passing, um, Nevertheless, they became public and they hurt Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's reputation, and that was considered a terrible lashon hora. Even though Yehuda ben Gerim had no intention of actually embarrassing Rabbi Shimon, uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, nonetheless, it still had that um, that result, um, and that's proof that that even to embarrass someone, um, and and it wasn't your intention to embarrass them, but nonetheless, it did embarrass them. That's still considered lashon hora. Uh, there is one exception here. So if the listener that you're speaking to is a chacham, is a wise person that is careful to follow the rules of Lashon Hora and will not spread this information, you are in certain instances allowed to share um, a sin that a person did um, if you're positive that person that you're speaking to will not spread the information. And on top of that, the only reason why you're saying it um, is just to tell that person to to sort of be careful about that that um, to tell the chacham to be careful about the person that you're speaking about, um, so they can avoid a bad situation. But you're not saying it in order to trash them. You're just saying it basically as a warning. Um, uh, so you know it's sort of like uh, you're not you know it, it, it just a warning like look both ways before you cross the street. In the same way that you know that's you're not mad at the street for having to look both ways. In the same way, it's saying. If you know that you can speak to someone that's not going to spread the information and you're just sort of warning them about what a certain person did so they can avoid any pitfalls with that, you know, falling into the same trap that you did, then it's you're permitted to, to tell them, but only in the case where you know as a fact that person's not going to spread the information and it'll become public knowledge. If it's going to become public knowledge, then you cannot spread it. But um, if you know it's not going to become public knowledge and the reason why you're saying it is just so that person avoids a bad situation um, with this person, then you can you, you are permitted to, to warn them. But again, only if you're sure that that's not going to spread and you have no bad intent of trying to destroy that person's reputation. Um, so if a person did teshuva, um, then there's absolutely no purpose of spreading past sins. So the only way that you'd be able to speak to this chacham and warn them that perhaps this person did a sin that you saw um, is only in the case where they hadn't done teshuva. But generally, we should expect that the sin you saw that person did, that they repented for it. And if they repented for it, then there's absolutely no purpose in spreading the past sins that they did. That's strictly for Elash and Horah purposes, and you're not allowed to do that. So um, if a person, you know, if, you've, if, if you saw a person's sin in the past but you haven't seen them sin for quite some time, you you must assume that they did teshuva. Um, and, you know, this is like the, the famous Gemara in uh, Brachot. It says, if you see a wise person, you see a Chacham, doing some kind of sin, doing an Avera at night, you should assume they must have repented by the morning. So if you see the person that, that you know, they, they did a sin at night, and they're, wise, you know, they're, in, in, uh, they're, they're a chacham, you should assume that they must have done teshuva already by the morning. It's a nice lesson for us, too, that, um, you know, if we do a sin, we should assume that we're going to uh, repent for it even that night, that we're not going to wait to repent on Yom Kippur. We're not going to say, maybe we'll think about this later, that if we realize it was a mistake, it's important to address it right here and right now. And that's what's saying we assume that everybody does that. Um, it's a big assumption to make, but we assume that whenever we see a person doing a sin, we assume that they must have repented uh, by the morning. 
There is one exception to this assumption that they repented. The exception is, if the incident involves somebody stealing money from someone else, we have to remain suspicious of that person until the money was rightfully returned to their to their original owner. So the point being here, the Chavetz Chaim explains a very nice idea. What's the point of doing teshuva if the stolen object is still in your possession? So, you know, if the person stole something, they're living an exemplary, uh, an exemplary life right now. They're following all the mitzvot. However, they refuse to pay back the theft. They refuse to pay back what they stole. Then basically that whole teshuva process that that person on the outside seems like they did is totally worthless and, and pointless. It's a nice message that, you know, especially between commandments between us and other people, if we short somebody, you know, with, with us and between God, it's maybe something that you can do teshuva, you can live in a, you know, an upstanding life, and, um, and, and, and that's it. But with other people, they, you have to work to, um, to satisfy that, you know, uh, to, to, to basically to mend that relationship. If you steal from someone, uh, it doesn't matter how sorry you feel about it. At the end of the day, you have to return that money. You have to return what belongs to them. And until you return what belongs to them, it's as if all the praying and teshuva and whatever was going on in your mind is totally worthless until you return what, you know, you return um, the money to their right, to, to its rightful owner. Um, and however, there is kind of a, a, a somewhat of an exception to this idea. The Chavetz Chaim says, if a person's business was sort of built on machloket, was built on different arguments and sort of a shtick, you know, different schemes to basically, he says, schemes to snatch money from, to snatch money from fellow Jews, because he rationalizes that, well, you have to make a living. So um, since you have to make a living, then, you know, uh, he was willing to basically have these arguments and schemes to try to steal money from people. But now you see that person who lived that, who sort of had that dishonest business, but that person is now an upstanding and, and straight and, you know, follows all the mitzvahs and no longer is somebody that tries to snatch money from their fellow Jew, then you must presume that they did teshuva. So you might ask, well, didn't we just say that if you see someone stole from somebody else and they didn't return the money, that their teshuva is totally worthless? We did say that. However, this case, the Chavetz Chaim says, is a little bit different because there's not really any money to return. Basically, the person was sort of dishonest, sort of schemy, but basically the entire city interacted with this person's business. And it was, there's not like a one, you know, it's not like you stole a certain thing from a certain person. Just in general, he was a little bit dishonest in business. That's something that is very hard to ever uh, come back from. So if you see the person is now an upstanding individual, um, you know, you should just, even if they hadn't paid it back, basically because it's so hard to pay back, uh, you should accept their teshuva. Um, and the, the, the Rambam says that if a person's sins been adam lamakum between them and God, you should first privately rebuke them. And if they don't, um, if they don't do teshuva, uh, the, the Rambam says you should even publicly rebuke them in certain instances. And I think I'll get that more into that exactly how that would happen. But it says, you know, he's, uh, the Rambam says the Nevi'im, the great prophets, would consistently rebuke the Jewish people. Um, and it says so too that, you know, we should, we should not shy away from rebuke, assuming we do it in the right way, um, until they repent. So, however, the, the Chavetz Chaim picks up on basically until they repent, meaning that if you should generally assume a person did repent, and certainly if you know they repented, then it's completely pointless 
to say anything about them um, to the public, and it's Lashon Hora, in fact, if you do that. All right, so moving on to Halacha Bet. It's forbidden to reveal another person's sin um, because that person would be would feel would feel ashamed, um, and this even applies. The Chavetz Chaim says if the avera if the sin is very commonplace and basically everybody does it, what's an example of a sin that everybody does? He the Chavetz Chaim says if a person doesn't learn Torah because they're working, um, which is an interesting idea. That basically just because you're working, it doesn't mean that you're now potter from. Uh, you know, Talmud Torah, that, that you still have to learn Torah, even if you're working. And, um, and, and, but a person might wrongfully, incorrectly think that basically the effort and the tircha that it takes to work overrides their Torah learning. And they might think, well, we're done. We don't need to learn Torah anymore uh, because we're working. However, that was, that's a sin. You can't do that. And, um, and, uh, the Chavetz Chaim brings that as an example of something that, yeah, everybody everybody makes that rationalization. Look, I'm working. I can't learn Torah. Everybody makes that racula- that that uh, that rationalization. But nonetheless, that's still not something that you should spread to other people. Oh, you, do you know this person doesn't learn Torah? That's still not uh, that that's still considered lashon hora, even though it's common that a person doesn't learn doesn't learn Torah. But nonetheless, it's still a sin. Um, and he also says this even applies for sins that are ill-defined. So if a person doesn't, you know, honor Shabbos, for example, what does it really mean to honor Shabbos? You're supposed to honor Shabbos, you know, to the best of your ability, but that's obviously on a sliding scale. It's very ill-defined what the, to the best of your ability means. Um, so by saying, but nonetheless, you're not supposed to publicize that a person doesn't honor Shabbos, um, to the best of his ability. Um, and it, it says though, instead, if a person, you see a person sin, you should privately rebuke him. And, um, re- and how do you do this? You should say, you know, if, if you feel comfortable enough with him and feel that he would listen to your tocha, you should tell him that, um, you know, that you should, that, that his leniency in this area is only a rationalization. He's just rationalizing it. Um, the, it, and, and, you know, and you should try to, privately rebuke him, but publicly rebuking him would be considered Lashon Hora. The Gemara in Bava Batra gives a story about learning Torah. The Gemara in Bava Batra says, um, Rabbi Yani says, let's leave this place because my student doesn't want to learn Torah. And isn't this, this sounds like it's Lashon Hora, as the Chavetz Chaim says. It's considered, um, it's considered Lashon Hora if you go around telling people, you know, this person doesn't learn any Torah. But it seems like that's exactly what Rabbi, Yani, what Rabbi Yani is doing by saying, you know, let's leave this place because he doesn't learn any Torah. Isn't that considered, why isn't that Lashon Hora? It's because, um, it's because basically there's a special heter. There's, you have special permission um, if you're rebuking your own student. So because Rabbi Yanni was rebuking his own student, trying to motivate him, trying to get his student more motivated to learn Torah, then it was permitted to speak sort of in a harsh way about him. Let's leave this place because my student doesn't want to learn Torah. Um, that's permitted only in this case because it was a Rebbe to student relationship and the Rebbe felt like he could motivate his student by speaking about him in that way. But generally, it, that would be considered Lashon Hora. If, if it's not a student-to-teacher, you know, relationship. Um, then it says you can't say that a person even violated a, a, a Durabanan, a, a, you know, a, a rabbinic decree, um, because that person should be embarrassed that they violated a rabbinic decree. So you can't just say, oh, yeah, you know, that person violated a certain Durabanan, um, and, and uh, you know, that person uh, carried around a pen 
or sorry, you know, the person held a pen, moved around a pen on, on, on Shabbos. That would be a muksa. That would be a rabbinic thing. However, um, we're saying we're saying that you still can't say that because even though it's just a rabbanon, it's still a person should still be embarrassed for violating a rabbanon. Therefore, it's considered lashon hora if you say that they did that. Um, and one interesting point is the Chavetz Chaim says even in the case of adultery, you shouldn't disclose. Um, you know that a person did adultery if there's only one witness. And I think we'll get it more into exactly what instances you are allowed to disclose, what instances you're not. But uh, it's interesting, Chavetz Chaim at least mentions that in passing here, that if it's just one witness, even the greatest sin that you would normally publicize, you may not publicize in that case. Um, he, uh, one example of basically um, something that is not really even a sin, but just something that was viewed as um, like a sin, and that's considered Lashon Hora. So there's an example in the Gemara, um, I spoke about this in a previous podcast, that a person that poorly drafted a shtar, poorly drafted a contract, um, uh, you know, um, so someone poorly drafted this contract, and then another uh, another person criticized that that person by saying, you know, he was the one that drafted this poorly drafted contract. Um, and even though drafting a poorly drafted contract is not an actual avera, there's no sin of drafting a poor, you know, a, a bad contract. Nonetheless, revealing who it is is still considered lashon hora. So the Chavetz Chaim was saying, "Kol v'chomer." If you talk about a sin that a person did, they certainly would be embarrassed, and that certainly would be considered lashon hora. Moving to the uh, halacha gimel, the last halacha in the podcast. So if a person um, is a benoni, basically a stam Jew, a normal, a normal Jew, an, an intermediary, an inter- intermediate Jew, normal Jew. Um, if he's generally observant, but he occasionally sins, so that's how the Chavetz Chaim defines this. Basically, a person that's generally observant, but every once in a while makes some mistakes. You should assume that if you see a person, if you see that kind of person sin, it must have been that they sinned unintentionally, or um, or maybe they thought that it was something that only great rabbis did. But they, as a simple Jew, as a as a stam as a stam yid, a sim, you know, a, a benoni, um, they don't have to follow something that the great rabbis do. But in reality, it's actually a sin that they didn't follow it. Um, or they don't do it because they think it's very machmer, but it's not an actual mitzvah. They think it's a very stringent idea that they have to follow. But, um, it, but in reality, they have to follow it. It's not just a, an extra stringency that the righteous people do. It's, um, it, in reality, it would be a mitzvah that everybody has to do. In those instances, um, you, should, you, know, you should not publicize it. Um, and it says... Chavetz Chaim says, not, you know, not only are you allowed, not allowed to spread lush and hora about somebody that did a sin, however, you're even supposed to judge them favorably um, because, uh, you know, of Adam Lechaf Schut, that to judge a person favorably. So if you see a person that did a sin um, and that person is just a Stam Jew, normal Jew, you should assume then that, um, you know, they must have made some kind of mistake or, or didn't realize it was actually... Um, you know, n- not just something that great rabbis were supposed to do. It was actually a real sin. Nonetheless, you're supposed to assume that it was a mistake. And um, why are you supposed to assume that? Because it's, you know, you have a mitzvah to judge others favorably. And so you yourself should judge them favorably. And then certainly you'd have no interest in sharing Lashon Hara about what that person did because you would assume they might have just been misled and not known. And the proper path is to let them know that it was a sin um, but in a very private way, in a direct way. Um, however, the Chavetz Chaim says, if a sin is generally known, 
to be a sin, and you see that person transgress that sin many times, then you can no longer assume it was unintentional. So you don't have to be blind. If it's obvious that, you know, that person continuously did something that everybody agreed in the Jewish community was a sin, that would be something that you can no longer assume it was unintentional. Um, Okay, so to recap what I spoke about, so this is the beginning of Kalal Dalit, and I'll go over the other halachas of Kalal Dalit in a future podcast, but as I mentioned for Halacha Aleph of Kalal Dalit, um, if a person is just a general fine, upstanding person, it's lush and hora to demean them in any way. How would you demean them? By repeating sins that they or their family did, whether it was ben adam lachavero between them and another person or ben adam makom between them and God, um, by repeating sins that they did in their past or their, their family did would be considered lush and hora. Um, if you see someone doing something, you know, halachically inappropriate, um, then it's forbidden to demean them. And there is some exceptions, though, if, you know, if the disclosure conforms to certain criteria that we'll talk about later in the seventh halacha of this klal, of klal dalid, then it might be permitted, but generally not permitted. Um, however, there's one big exception. If he's an apikoros, if he's someone that totally denounces Judaism, then none of these rules apply, and we'll have to wait till the eighth klal to actually get into what the rules are for that kind of person. David Amelech says... He was so drained from embarrassment, basically, that just to show you the importance of not speaking Lashon Hora, that by speaking Lashon Hora, you oftentimes embarrass someone. David Amalek said he was so embarrassed, he was sort of sucked of all of his life force. And he says, even if you tore my flesh apart, I wouldn't bleed because I was embarrassed so many times that it's like my life force was sucked from me. Um, and the uh, Chavitz Chaim says that even if you know the person you're talking to, the listener, even if you know the listener wouldn't, cons- you know, would, wouldn't uh, degrade that person in their mind after hearing this information, you're still not allowed to speak about that person's sinful history because you worry that um, that might become what you told that person might become public knowledge. And if it became public knowledge, the victim would be hurt by it. Um, and even if you don't intend to hurt anyone by speaking negatively about someone, um, it still may be lush and hora, especially if it spreads, if there's a, you know, especially in cases where it, it might spread to become public knowledge. Um, the example of where even if you didn't intend for it to hurt anyone, it's still considered lush and hora as in Shabbos 33b, when Yehuda ben Gerim had no intention to embarrass Rabbi Yishim bar Yochai. Because the statement that Rabbi Yehuda ben Gerim said about Rabbi Yishim bar Yochai, oh, we're at home, we're in passing, they weren't in any kind of malicious way. Nonetheless, they became public and they ended up hurting Rabbi, hurting Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and was considered Lashon Hora. There's uh, another exception that if a person, if, if the person that you're talking to, if the listener is a Chacham, is a wise person, and you know that they meticulously follow the laws of Lashon Hora and will not spread the information that you tell them, then you are possibly allowed to tell that person, um, but not in order to demean the, per- the victim, the person that you're talking about, it's just so that um, it's just so that basically you can warn them that uh, they, you know, that you can warn the chacham, you can warn the wise person that there may be some kind of, um, you know, that, it, that basically to stay away from this person, but you're not doing it in, in a malicious way. I said that just like looking both ways before crossing the street, you don't have any emotions attached to it. It's just sort of a safe thing to do. And it's saying here too, that you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't speak to a, uh, you know, to a chacham about the, 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 the bad that somebody did 
um, just in order to sort of ruin their reputation. But if you do it simply as a safety precaution, like looking both ways before crossing the street, just to warn the person, you know, you may not want to interact with this person that I saw that did this to kind of sin, that you're allowed to do, but only in cases where you know as a fact that person's not going to spread the information. Um, and it also says if you know that that person did teshuva, if that person repented, if the victim repented, it's absolutely prohibited even to speak it to someone that won't disclose that information. Um, it's absolutely prohibited to, to spread the Lashon Hora of someone's past sins if you know that they uh, had repented for them. It says if a person seems like they haven't sinned, you should assume they must have done teshuva for the sins that you saw them do in the past. Um, the Gemara in Bracho says, how extreme is this? It says, if you see a wise person that does a sin at night, you should assume they must have repented by the morning. There is one exception to this, is that unless if the incident involves money, you have to remain suspicious until that money was returned to its original owner. And as I mentioned, it's just a really nice idea that if we, um, if we ourselves do a sin, it assumes, uh, the Gemara assumes that we're going to repent for it by the next morning. Um, and what does this mean that if it involves money, we should still be suspicious until they return the money? It's because the Chavetz Chaim says, what's the value of doing teshuva if the stolen item that you have is still in your possession? It's as if you didn't do anything. He gives the example, if a person steals and you see them now living an exemplary life, an exemplary life, um, however, they refuse to pay back their theft, then what's the whole point of them living an exemplary life? They're, at the end of the day, still thieves and their teshuva was worthless. Um, uh, there is sort of one exception to this idea of, um, of basically of someone stealing in the past and then not being able to, not being able to, um, you know, and, and having the ability to pay it back, but not paying it back. Uh, in that case, you're still allowed to speak, you know, lush and horror about them. Um, there's one exception to that though. It says if somebody's business was sort of built on shtick, was built on different schemes to try to snatch money from a fellow Jew because they rationalize that they have to make a living. But nowadays, that person no longer does those schemy practices and um, is now an, an upstanding individual. Then you have to you you have to assume that person must have done teshuva. How is this different than the case of if you see someone steal and they haven't returned what they stole? Then it must be they didn't really do teshuva. This is different because it was a business. A business interacts with the entire town, and it's hard to pin down exactly what you stole from who, which almost makes it a lot worse in a way. It's impossible to pay back. But um, for our, you know, for our argument that if you did it and it's impossible to pay back, and they they're now living an upstanding life, then um, then you know in, in in that particular case we should not uh, speak lush and horror about them. So the Rambam says that if a person sins ben adam lamakum between them and God, you should first privately rebuke them, and if they do teshuva, you should stop. However, if they can don't do teshuva, you should publicly rebuke them, just like the Nevi'im did. And as I mentioned, I'll get into more detail about how to exactly punit, you know, privately rebuke someone, publicly rebuke someone um, about what they did in the past. That will be talked about. Uh, in a future podcast. Um, however, the, what the, the Chavetz Chaim picks out from what the Rambam says is that once a person repents, it's absolutely lush and hora to rebuke them anymore in public. Um, halacha bet. So I said it's forbidden to reveal somebody's sins because that victim would feel ashamed. Um, and this even applies if the Avera is commonplace. Everybody does it. 
the example he gives is a person doesn't learn Torah because they're working so hard. They think that the effort of their work overrides their Torah study. Um, that would be something that you wouldn't be able to publicize. The Chavetz Chaim brings, though, an example where they, someone did just that. Yeah, someone in the Gemara publicized the, that a person wasn't learning Torah. So how is that possible? The Gemara in Bava Batra says that Rabbi Yoni says, let's leave this place because my student doesn't want to learn Torah. And, but that sounds like it's Lashon Hora. It sounds like you're publicizing the sin that his student did. However, he says, no, it's not Lashon Hora because Rabbi Yoni was talking about his student and trying to, by, by basically publicizing the fact his student didn't want to learn Torah, was, um, was his way of motivating, of lighting a fire under his student. Um, and in that particular case, it was okay. But generally, it's not considered okay to rebuke um, someone else for not learning Torah. So he says, even it's, you shouldn't publicize that someone did a sin that was ill-defined, like a person doesn't honor Shabbos given their means. Um, you know, how exactly do you define how much they're supposed to honor Shabbos given how much money you have, money they have? That's a little bit hard to pin down. Um, you should privately rebuke someone, um, you know, if they do a sin and, uh, and, and basically tell them, look, the leniency that you're doing, the, the sin that you're doing, it's just a rationalization, but you should never publicly say it. Publicly saying it is a, um, publicly announcing that a person did a sin is considered lush and horror. Uh, then you can't, um, say that a person even violated a, a durabanan. Maybe you would say, well, people aren't even ashamed of violating a durabanan. But no, that's not the case, he says. You should still be ashamed of violating a Durabana, and they're still very important, uh, the, the mitzvahs that the rabbis made. Um, and therefore, you shouldn't be allowed to publicize that a person did a Durabana because it would come to embarrass them. Um, he mentions in passing quickly, I think we're going to see more about this though, is that even if a person did adultery, you shouldn't publicize it if you only have one witness. But I think we're going to get more into that uh, in a later podcast. Um, one example of something where a person did something halachically questionable and that was spread and was considered Lashon Hora was a person poorly, in the, a person in the Gemara poorly drafted a shtar, a contract. Um, it, which is not an actual sin. There's no sin about uh, attached to poorly drafting a contract. However, since he poorly drafted that contract, um, and he since a person poorly drafted the contract, and somebody else revealed who that person was, who the author of the bad contract was, that's considered lush and hora. Again, even though drafting a bad, bad contract is not a sin in any way, it's just sort of considered something bad. And by publicizing it, it is lush and hora. By publicizing who that person is, it's lush and hora. Halacha gimel. So I said, if a person's a benoni, a stam Jew, a, you know, a normal, a simple Jew, um, and they're generally observant, but occasionally they make they they have some sins then you should assume that if you see that benoni, if you see that stamju sin, you should assume that that sin was done unintentionally. You should assume that that person that sinned must have, you know, thought maybe that was, that only great rabbis followed that rule. But they, you know, as a simple Jew, they don't have to follow it. But in reality, they do have to follow it. Or they might mistakenly think that that's only the machmir position. That's only for the, the most stringent of opinions. But in reality, uh, that's not the stringent opinion. That's the basic halacha, and they don't do it, and um, that it's actually a sin. But you, in, in, in those cases, you should assume it was unintentional, and you should not spread the fact that they did that sin because it was unintentional. Um, and not only should you not spread the fact that they that 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 that, that Stam Jew did a sin, but you should not even judge that person um, that you know in in any kind of way. 
because dam that you should judge people favorably, you should judge that person in a way that would, you know, um, that, that, you know, the, you would just assume, well, it must've been a mistake. And if you see someone sin and you think that it was a mistake, then you would never spread lush and horror about that person. There's one exception though. If you see a sin that is generally known to be a sin, if you see someone do something that's generally known to be a sin and they transgress it several times, then you can no longer assume it was unintentional. So you don't have to be blind. If you see someone do something that's generally known as a sin and they do it over and over again, then you can assume it was not, you know, it, it was intentionally done. It was not unintentional. But the default rule is you should assume that if a normal Jew does something that's wrong, you should assume that they must have just made a mistake and they didn't really mean to do it. Uh, so to read my poem, if a Jew does a sin, assume it was out of his control. Assume he did teshuva unless it was money that he stole. Don't publicize the sin of someone's past. It is lush and hora to put that person on blast. And with that, uh, l'chaim l'chaim. And this has been Klaal Dalid, uh, the intro to Klaal Dalid um, of the Sefer Chavetz Chaim.